Welcome to Outdoor States, a series of live conversations with the leaders, the advocates, the policymakers, and the innovators who are fueling a national movement in outdoor recreation, one state at a time. So the big idea here is to get some of these local leaders, these local thinkers, these local activists on the phone and have them tell their story. And today on the pod, we're going to be talking to Kaylin O'Brien Feeney. Kaylin is the director of the Oregon Office of Outdoor Recreation, an office that was set up in 2017. And uh, prior to that, he was the Outdoor Industry Association Local Recreation Advocacy Manager. Uh, really had a front row seat and an active hand in creating this movement of outdoor states. So the place I was hoping to start here is kind of dial the dial the clock back to when you started at OIA as the, I found your title, Local Recreation Advocacy Manager. And yeah. when, when you when you stepped into that role, it wasn't about state offices. What, what was it? What was your sort of scope of work at that point? So like uh, this job that I'm in now as the director of Oregon's Office of Outdoor Recreation, that was a, a newly created position at Outdoor Industry Association. And it was at a time when uh, Steve Barker was at the helm of OIA as the interim executive director. Right. And if I was to summarize the idea, um, it, it was really this recognition that there's a gap happening. Um, and that, that gap is that the industry for a long time uh, has played in Washington, D.C., and that's a place where advocacy is always going to be important um, for obvious reasons. But we hadn't tried to organize or support businesses at the local level that are in the outdoor industry, whether they're interested in a local ballot initiative, uh, communicating with their city council, a governor's office, or the state legislature. And so the local recreation advocacy uh, manager position was created and that, that title changed, but it was essentially to support outdoor companies uh, everywhere other than Washington, D.C. Right. I mean, yeah, it's a pretty, pretty big scope, but obviously I has um, representation there in D.C. And the, the state and local program, as it's known now, has grown. And, you know, you're right. We can come back to it that one of the things that I spent a lot of time on and, and where we found a lot of success was around state offices. But that certainly wasn't the only thing I was doing. And so there was that gap, right, that just that we weren't showing up uh, in local politics. And you pair that with a recognition that people care about um, their backyards, they care about their favorite places. And, you know, if our goals are include helping more people get outside more often, whatever they want to do in the outdoors, the best place to do that is, is really focusing at the local level. Right. And a hundred percent, you know, I mean, I think, uh, you know, there's, there's the old phrase about all, all, I think it was Tip O'Neill, all politics are local. Um, right. And, and OIA had kind of gone all national and, and it was kind of a, a first step forward balancing act. My, my recollection was that you were involved in education programs and uh, hot button initiatives and things like that. But what, what year was that and where were state offices at that point when you first got your first business card in there? So it was only three years ago. 
2015, and Utah had its state office for a couple years at that point, and Washington and Colorado were just coming on board. Um, Luis had been uh, hired and had just started right around the same time as I did uh, in 2015, and John Snyder and Washington State had not yet started. Um, so early, early days, if you um, just fast forward a few years to where we are now with offices and, um, you know, both coasts and middle of the country and um, a, a ton, a ton of progress in that short time, which I think speaks mostly to the engagement of folks like yourself, actually, Drew, that make stuff happen where they live. Um, those are always going to be the most effective sort of advocates and, and really the way to drive change. And you also just are operating on a different timeline, a much faster timeline um, at the state level or even at the local level where it's just possible to get things done in a year um, or on election day that if you're talking about um, Congress, it, it might take several, several years or several administrations to see the same sort of progress. Right. Glacial, it seems like at the national level. Right. But, um, you know, right. yeah. So it's interesting. Um, you know, one of the key projects that OIA was working on, and I, I'm, I'm sure you were actively involved in as well, was the Recreation Economy Report, which is a something they had done for many years. But it, I don't know when it exactly happened, but there was one at one point it said, OK, that is now going to be available in a drill down state by state level. And that was while you were at OIA, right? It was, yeah. Um, it was a second time that OIA had released the outdoor recreation economy report down to the state level. But OIA then followed up and released the outdoor recreation economy information down to the congressional district level. Right. And so kind of getting back to the same um, same idea that I was speaking to just a moment ago, people want to know what those statistics are. How many jobs are we talking about? How much money is actually getting spent? What are the activities that people are participating in? How much tax revenue is generated? And they want to have that information at the scale that they work. And, and so if you only release a, a national number, um, that's going to be relevant to folks that are working on issues across the country, right? President, Department of Interior, Forest Service, folks in the administration. You get down to the state level and all of a sudden you can have a very different sort of conversation with governors. Uh, bring that down another level and if you can talk to uh, a member of Congress about what the outdoor recreation economy actually looks like in their district, that's really going to help it land. And so without going too much into it, um, one of the very first projects that I've started on here in Oregon is in concert with Travel Oregon, the state's uh, tourism entity, we're working on an economic contribution study that will go down to the county level. And again, just with the same spirit that having better information to base decisions off of down at the county level or the local level, um, we'll be able to engage more decision makers. Uh, and that type of information has not been available ever before. So going even one level deeper than OIA's work in the past, which um, I had a lot of fun with and, and worked on quite a bit. Well, it certainly was the, you know, that was that was the Johnny Appleseed moment, I think. And when, when everybody 
ran with their local data wherever they were uh, and just, I mean, they started waving it around and, and really opening a lot of doors. So the, the Oregon data that your program that you're working on now, how, how is that going to collect data and what type of data is it going to collect? Is it going to be the same stuff that OIA was doing, just drill down farther, or is there, or is there a different metric that you're looking for? So many of the same metrics, uh, basic, basic information will be uh, jobs, spending, and tax revenue. We're hoping to do that at the county level uh, by region and uh, as well as a number for the whole, the whole state. And then what, what I'm also really interested in seeing, um, the way that we're going to present this information, I think at this point is looking at what residents are spending uh, as opposed to or, or in addition to what tourists are spending. Right. So kind of breaking out, uh, breaking it out that way, as well as breaking it out by activity so that so that we can start to think about what are the investments that make the most sense if we're trying to support the growth of the outdoor recreation economy. You look at what people are doing, what types of activities are growing, what they want more of. And so presenting this information by you know, snow sports categories and trail sports categories and, and water activities. Um, as well as hunting and fishing, that that's the piece that I'm really excited and, and will be somewhat different than than OIA. Now, get to the methodology, and that's actually still a bit of an open question. We're still uh, at the early phases of a request for proposal, and so we won't see results until sometime next year. But those are our, you know, uh, deliverables that we're asking for with this report because there ha there has been a lot of work done already where we know how much tourists contribute to the state and we know how much the state park system contributes to the state and we know how much uh, cycling contributes to the state, but we've never tried to take this kind of comprehensive view of the outdoor recreation economy, which is why I'm so excited to, um, in these early days, still move forward on this project. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. You know, I mean, I, I, I think everywhere, the data is dominated by the tourist economy. It's that's the easiest receipt to follow. You know, you have, you know, where people are staying. You know that they're buying lift tickets, that they're buying permits, that they're they're doing those type of things. And it does seem like resident user data is is kind of the next level of the whole thing. And I would imagine. So in terms of how you're looking at this, is this it's going to be some probably some direct polling of residents, correct? We'll see if, it, if that's necessary, and, and it may not be that we might be able to get there um, by using the existing data and, uh, and essentially conducting an analysis based on all of the work that's already been done. Because there's, uh, there's a, li a literature review that Travel Oregon hired out, and they came back with dozens, uh, li literally dozens, of existing uh, outdoor recreation economy studies, but none of them were comprehensive. Right. So that's kind of what we're in the middle of right now is is trying to understand, do we have to do um, new polling or can it be, you know, the combination of all this existing work that, that no one has done? And that would include uh, certainly the work that OIA did, which was primary polling, right? They did a, an online survey and they asked, you know, did you go outside or not? And if not, you didn't take the survey. And if so, they started asking questions like, 
How much did you spend on gear? Where did you go? How long did you stay? You know, what did you participate in? And that is very robust methodology. And so we might be able to build off of that while still providing this information at a local level and through a slightly different lens that includes the breakouts by, you know, different activities. And by county too. That's great. So it's not, exactly. it's not going to be dominated. So Oregon, you know, for, for laymen to the state, I mean, it is a, a very large Western state, has a coast, it has a primary city, it has a, an urban environment as well as Eastern Oregon, which is much more rural. What are the, I mean, uh, one of the common threads of all the offices of outdoor recreation is the balancing of, of, of interests and, and, and challenges with that. What's kind of the situation in, in Oregon right now in terms of um, the big, the biggest opportunities and the biggest sort of low-hanging fruit for helping the outdoor recreation economy move forward? So you're, you're right, Drew. Um, Oregon is a, a very large Western state that is blessed to have an entirely public coastline, uh, thanks to some really forward-looking legislation can you, uh, can a little you, over 50 years ago. Which is fantastic. Can you just, you know... When you say that, you know, I don't know if everybody is aware that, you know, further south down the coast, there's a lot of challenges with that and having, you know, the privatization of coastline. Are you do you know enough about that to speak about that a little bit? Well, as as a native Californian, um, (laughs) yes, I have have experienced some of that. And there's a constitutional requirement here in Oregon that. Uh, is managed by Oregon's Park and Recreation Department, which my Office of Outdoor Recreation sits within. And so we manage access to the ocean shore um, in perpetuity. So that's an incredible asset that we have, and it, it does also kind of speak to the diversity of opportunities that are here. I mean, you mentioned the, the Cascades. You can ski here 12 months out of the year. When, you know, on, on Mount Hood, there's glaciers and a whole economy built around that. There's also an expanse of high desert, other mountain ranges, um, wildlife refuges. You can kind of do anything in the outdoors here in the state, um, whether it's hunting for big game or um, salmon fishing, backcountry skiing, amazing, amazing cycling community here, great backpacking trips. And then you kind of layer on all the opportunities in the Columbia River Gorge, um, which is a, you know, world-renowned windsurfing and kiteboarding and whitewater paddling destination. And it's kind of everything. Um, You mentioned the urban area. So we have amazing heritage brands in in Portland, uh, as well as some really innovative up-and-comers. And And there's also a a very robust, healthy collection of outdoor companies in Bend. So there's a few different clusters around the state where the outdoor recreation industry is, is alive and well. But I think your question was actually what, what are the greatest low hanging fruit or what are the greatest opportunities? Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, well, you did a great job of sort of setting the stage and I, and I guess that, yeah, that the follow-up question is, is, you know, knowing that, you know, and coming in, what is the, what is, what is that low hanging fruit or is or, or do you know what that is yet? I would say I, I know what some of it is, and that's part of what I've been up to the last several months, traveling around the state, meeting with businesses, uh, other agencies, whether they're land managers or in business development or tourism, um, with nonprofits, with outfitters and guides. And there's 
as I mentioned, a really healthy industry here, a tremendous amount of enthusiasm, but what seems to be lacking is alignment um, around shared goals. If, if you were to imagine, you know, a, a freeway, it, it feels like everyone's sort of moving, um, moving down that freeway. And at some point, we're going to get to an opportunity to merge. Um, and we're, we're not there yet. So I could go on about all the amazing initiatives that are here. Um, and I've gotten to meet with and, and engage most of those either you know, outdoor business uh, collaboratives or a nonprofit effort that is bringing the conservation and outdoor recreation advocacy community together, or the first gentleman of Oregon, Dan Little, has an initiative around diversity, equity, and inclusion in the outdoors. Um, but there's insufficient coordination between all of those various efforts. And so I can you know, pick a project or, or come up with priorities based on the conversations that I'm having, but Honestly, the, the biggest opportunity that I see is really in aligning the existing efforts um, because if, if we're able to do that um, and, and layering in efforts around tourism as well, uh, I think the ability for us to make change is almost limitless. And that's what hasn't been happening. I really, uh, at least as I've learned at this point. And I, so, I, I really like your forward-looking uh, example of people moving ahead on a, in a variety of lanes, um, eventually there is going to have to be some sort of merge. Um, otherwise, there's just going to be a million people moving forward in a million different <laughs> lanes, right? Um, yeah. You know, so, all right. So in Oregon, you know, I know that the office officially started in, or I guess it was voted in, in 2017. But, but the beginning of the outdoor recreation sort of modern movement it dates back a bit before that, and, and did that not sort of center out of Bend and the Bend Outdoor Works? I seem to remember that that was really one of the initial um, sources of energy for this whole thing. Yeah, so there's a, a group that has been Bend-based uh, called Oregon Outdoor Alliance, and that's a, a group of Central Oregon uh, outdoor industry professionals that kind of recognize how much of a hotspot then would be coming, but also that they weren't getting together, that, you know, there were lots of organic connections being made, but um, really to kind of catapult this stuff forward, they ought to meet and receive training and make connections. And so Oregon Outdoor Alliance does a ton. Um, first of all, it's, it's a networking opportunity. Um, they have engaged on workforce development in a really significant way. Hydroflask, as an example, provided the seed funding for uh, outdoor products program at Oregon State University Cascades that is, is there in Bend because they recognize what they need as talent, um, mo most of all. They've also been engaged in some advocacy work specifically around the Office of Outdoor Recreation, uh, which is kind of, kind of what you were saying. But even going back a few years ago, there was an initiative through Travel Oregon that pulled together many of these uh, many of these same stakeholders, saying, "Okay, what do we need essentially to be doing to uh, to grow and support the outdoor recreation economy in this state?" And that Oregon Outdoor Recreation Initiative is still ongoing today. It's sort of changed form a little bit because the very top recommendation from the groups that they pulled together, which, which included, 
you know, folks from around the state and from business as well as nonprofit, uh, higher education and land management was we need uh, someone, we need, you know, an office of outdoor recreation to kind of own and lead on this work so that we're not, you know, kind of moving separately together, if, if, if that makes sense, but we're not just in these parallel lanes. So I would, I would certainly credit the outdoor recreation initiative that Travel Oregon put together as uh, part of the reason that I'm, that I'm sitting here in the Office of Outdoor Recreation as well. So it was two, twofold. Got it. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't aware of that. That makes perfect sense. You know, the, the Bend thing, I think it's simply because it was more, I guess, quote unquote, traditional outdoor industry brands were, were starting to make noise. And I mean, they had a great uh, uh, grant program. I, I remember seeing a kind of a, an entrepreneurship grant that kept growing and um, obviously they're networking and, and obviously they've been very successful in bringing companies in there and, and, and raising them there as well. Um, yep. And, and connecting uh, those young companies with mentors and access to capital. Uh, yeah, there's, there's an incredible amount of work that's happening over there, but the, you know, a lot of the advocacy that we're maybe familiar with or has seen, um, my time at OIA was, was led by OIA members that were, that were done based. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Exactly. So now to get into the super sexy structural part of how this all works, how, where in the Oregon state government is your office housed? Um, who do you report to? How big is your office? Do you have a private parking space? All those good things. <laughs> right. Um, so the Office of Outdoor Recreation was created by legislation last year, signed by Governor Kate Brown um, in August of last year. And then I was hired at the beginning of July uh, of this year. And it was that was a, a big conversation was essentially if we're trying to do two things, and that's sort of both to improve outdoor recreation opportunities and to grow the economy what's the natural fit because no one no one is doing that exactly no one's working on outdoor recreation policies statewide or looking at our business development programs solely through an outdoor recreation lens because typically that work uh, here in Oregon has happened on a local or regional basis that's that's more how we're set up rather than on an industry by industry basis right um, for example Portland and, city of Portland or something like that Right, and so you know, Pro Prosper Portland does have uh, economic development lead and does amazing work there, serving the city of Portland and Portland metro area and all of the athletic and outdoor companies there. But it isn't someone's job to do that statewide, and and my job is is both to do that as well as to work on this coordination outdoor recreation policy stuff that we've been talking about a little bit, and because of because of that second reason mostly. The Office of Outdoor Recreation is in uh, Oregon's Park and Rec Department. And so my boss is the director of state parks and any formal action, if we were to you know, go down, fast forward a couple of years and, and we're starting to propose legislative changes or you know, fixes to, to statute that would need to happen, those will be approved or would go through Oregon's Park and Rec Commission. And that's a really long answer, but this has been one of kind of the core challenges so far has been a structural question where even though I'm in uh, Oregon's Park and Recreation Department to Oregonians and even many of my peers here, they know this agency as Oregon State Parks, right? right? 
and we have amazing state parks here. I also mentioned that we have responsibility for uh, maintaining public asset access to the ocean shore. There's an amazing grant program. There's policy work. And this is sort of an opportunity to, I've been thinking of it more like starting from our state parks and looking out rather than trying to improve state park operations. That's not, that's not really what I'm doing. But the mission of the Parks and Recreation Department is statewide and towards the betterment of outdoor recreation opportunities um, writ large. And so how we structure an advisory council for my office that includes all of the other agencies like business development and tourism and fish and wildlife uh, is something that we're actually just churning through right now um, because I will need that sort of advisory structure to get buy-in, right, for for proposing policies or move forward, moving forward on projects that are maybe on federal public land or that, you know, impact the operations of how we do business development or, you know, how we deal with passes and permits in the outdoor space. So it's a little bit, um, a little bit TBD. Uh, yeah, I, I get it. It's, 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 it's a moving target for sure. And, you know, it is interesting. I think, um, you know, one of the, one of the interesting things about this is, you know, we had the confluence process that happened last year and, you know, eight states or more than eight states got together and developed really sort of a common platform in four major areas. And, you know, everybody has a little bit of a hand in each of those areas, but everybody also has strengths and depending on their structure and where they're based. And, you know, it's, it's interesting that you're based um, in the really in sort of the state parks wing. But at the same point, you know, I, I know that part of it has got to be economic development, um, you know, which is probably, I would imagine, some tension within the the traditional parks community. I know it's, it's interesting, you know, in some of the outreach that we've done, sometimes some of the biggest um, skeptics of the whole thing are career government professionals who who don't want to see infrastructure overloaded and who are concerned any anytime they see that sort of economic development phrase um a red flag goes off in their head. They don't want to see, you know, a, a sidewalk to the top of Mount Hood or something like that. Um, at the same point, it's it's such a, I don't know, it's a it's a very big topic and 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 it's one that people are certainly proceeding on thoughtfully. It's interesting that you don't yet have an advisory panel internally. Do you, do you have a um, an advisory panel yet from the business community or from the outdoor community? So I. I... I have been meeting with many folks that I'd like to see serve on that advisory committee, but we haven't gone through the formal process of, of establishing it. So the, those meetings will happen, or that, that process will happen over the course of the fall and, in, and into the spring. And eventually it will be the Oregon Park and Recreation Commission that creates my advisory committee. Um, so I was eager to sort of hit hit the ground running and understand uh, beyond sort of my existing contacts in the, the core outdoor industry, you know, brands, retailers, outfitters and guides, who the other players were and what they saw as the opportunities. And so that's that was my sort of first order of business. Um, second order of business was understanding what legislation is being considered for next year that has any sort of impact on outdoor recreation, whether it's a potential positive or, or negative. And sure seeking some alignment there yeah and so now that uh 
election season is over, um, you know, just, just very recently, I am turning my attention towards that advisory committee structure. So do I have advisors? A- absolutely. Um, they're, 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 they're folks that, you know, they're, yeah. you know, they're mentors, they're friends, um, they're new contacts as well, but it, because it is state governmental, it'll, it'll take a little while, um, to actually set up that advisory committee because the, the bill that created my office didn't say, and you will have an advisory committee that includes, uh, a brand and a retailer and an outfitter and a motorized representative and a non-motorized representative, et cetera. It didn't right. obligate any of that. Um, it's That's a structure that I want to have, but it's taking a little while to figure out how to get the right people together and also have it not balloon to 40 folks. It, well, it's it's amazing. I'll, I'll bet you right, I'll bet you lunch right now that no matter what number that is, there'll be some people that are concerned that they weren't in it. Right. You know, you could have, yeah. you could have a hundred and, you know, somebody's going to say, well, why didn't you in- include us at, at the same yeah. point? You know, you got to they have to kind of be careful what they wish for, because it is a lot of work as well. It is. This is going to be a, a, a working thing. And there's, I've been met with a ton of enthusiasm so far, which is great. People are, are eager to get engaged and want to know how. Um, but it's also a different way of doing business uh, for state government, because the outdoor recreation economy is so broad um, just in terms of the, the activities that we're interested in supporting and, you know, improving opportunities or access for um, and, and the way that people are employed by or spend money in the outdoor recreation economy is huge, right? So you have outdoor companies, your brands, retailers, outfitters and guides that live and breathe this stuff every day. And then what we've seen from past research uh, that that we did with OIA is is actually that most of the spending in the outdoor recreation world is on experiences, right? It's it's not on gear; it's on trips and travel. Whether you're a resident or you're a tourist, and so how you move forward on projects and how you structure an advisory council that kind of captures that whole ecosystem. Um, is the question that I've been working through around this advisory council. And, and you're right. Ultimately, not not everyone is going to be happy, but I'm striving to make it as reflective of um, the diversity of Oregon's outdoor recreation economy that I possibly can while kind of keeping it to a, a reasonable size. It's interesting. You know, I, I noticed in the sort of my minimal web research I did on the office in Oregon that, that it was, you know, the House bill passed unanimously to create the office, but the Senate vote was a little closer. Was that a, um, was that split a, a, a regional block thing that where maybe Eastern or Eastern Oregon wasn't, uh, down with what Western Oregon wanted to do, or, or was it some other sort of, um, obstacle that created not quite a unanimous vote there? You know, I'm, I'm not actually sure, um, the answer to your question, I, I should probably, but I, I don't, I don't know. And the, the effort did start in the House. Uh, original sponsors were in the House. Uh, it was a bipartisan bill from, from the beginning. Um, chief sponsor was a Republican to start. And so I'm not sure that there was a you know, divide in, in the way that you speak to there. I think it is more likely, just to get way in the weeds for a second, on a, a matter of funding and how you, how you pay for um, even a, a very modest office, right? It's it's just me. 
at this point, calling on the expertise um, as needed of other state park staff from the communications shop or policy research shop. That's another great reason that I'm here is that there's there's other people who's who can pitch in, but it's still an, an expenditure of state dollars and general fund dollars when historically Oregon state parks have been funded by the lottery, mm. um, by RV registrations and by the revenue that they generate. And so that was some of the, um, some of the conversation. And there also really is, um, an interest here in the state to see the business community to see that the outdoor industry contribute not to necessarily the, the office, but to get engaged in, you know, philanthropy and helping people get outside and support projects. And, and so I think that was part of the conversation was just understanding what that already looks like in the state, because there's a, there's a ton that's going on. I mean, as, as you all know, outdoor companies are, um, very values driven and very engaged in the community. And I think the legislature wanted to know that, you know, this really was something that the industry was looking towards and that it would, um, it would continue to support once it was established, if they were going to put general fund dollars in it. Right. That makes total sense. I mean, I, I think you'd agree that, you know, that when you start talking about the outdoor recreation economy with people there, unless you really focus on what you're talking about, their brains can go just about anywhere, you know, and whether, yeah. whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. And, and, and the other sort of maxim of that is that the longer you talk about it, the more their eyes start to light up because they start to get it and, and they get it in their local way, um, which may not match, you know, another person's local way, but they certainly see the opportunities that are happening there. Um, you know, yeah, nor, nor does it need to. Um, to, to be totally clear, I mean, to me, the, the vision of success is that I, um, I am providing funding and working on, you know, better outdoor recreation policy so that locals can be making the change that they want to see, right. you know, so I'm, I'm removing their barriers and helping fund what, whatever their vision of success is, whether it's being driven through the county commissioner or by a local legislator or by a volunteer group. Um, they're always you know, going to be the ones that are most plugged in and have creative ideas and, and have kind of the passion and the time to make change happen there on the ground. So it will totally look different on, you know, the South Coast versus in Eastern Oregon versus in the Portland metro area in terms of what the actual community needs are to support outdoor recreation. Right. I mean, even in our small state, it was, you know, quick, quickly apparent that there is no one silver bullet that's going to work everywhere in the state for everybody. Um, but it just, unfortunately, that just creates more work for you. You know, but this, this is absolutely fun stuff and a blessing that I, that I get to work on it all the time. I mean, my, my life has been so improved by outdoor recreation and sort of every possible way that the chance to do this, you know, as my profession, combining it with my personal passion is, um, is humbling and, and a joy, but yeah, it, it, it is overwhelming, but it's overwhelming in terms of the opportunities that I see out there. And, you know, the, the list of low hanging fruit is, or the, the, the tree with low hanging fruit on it is very heavy. <laughs> yeah. It's a big tree. There's no doubt about it. And I, I totally agree. Yeah. Like when you start thinking about all the things that you could do, it's, it's almost not a great thing to think about because it can be very overwhelming. Uh, how much, you know, the other interesting thing though, for you is that, I mean, you're a, 
you have a lot of institutional knowledge. I mean, how often are you getting calls from other states and other other people that are trying to get things going? Sure, that that's still happening. Um, you know, we've, as you mentioned, around the, the confluence accords, there are eight states signed on. Um, several several other states, Maryland, um, Michigan, Maine, have created or are in the process of creating their offices of outdoor recreation or uh, task forces to look at the outdoor recreation economy in, in real time. And others uh, are still in communication. And to me, that's incredibly powerful because if this isn't just a, you know, a Western states movement, uh, the priorities are going to be different just to use our two states in, in Oregon versus in Vermont, clearly. But there are some common themes around, you know, funding for the outdoors and access and the type of economic development programs we need to have in place and, you know, healthcare uh, or health and wellness benefits, conservation and stewardship uh, priorities and challenges. And, and some of those things really are, are common themes across those states. So to me, we're going to be stronger if more states are doing business in this new way. Um, and that's especially true if, to the extent we choose to engage on federal public policy as well. Um, it's a, a pretty odd bunch when you look at just the states right now that are signed on to the Confluence Accords in terms of their politics and their you know, demographics and their geography. Um, you have Republican and uh, Democratic-controlled houses and senates and governor's offices, and that adds strength to me uh, in, in that diversity. So. Yeah. I, I, I'm happy to happy to pitch in, you know, but my, my focus really is here in Oregon and starting this office up. But I, I want to see the movement grow. And so you're going to head into your first legislative session. Is the Oregon session start uh, January? Is that how it rolls there? Yep. And uh, odd numbers, odd numbered years are the the longer session. It's where you set a budget for the the coming biennium. So they're really the big session is um, starting next year. It's, you know, for about six months. And one of the things that will happen in the future, so looking out to 2021, for example, is that once this advisory committee is in place, um, we will be able to, through the Office of Outdoor Recreation, propose legislative concepts, actually, you know, propose legislation that uh, if the governor's office signs off on it, would be introduced and could work on. Um, I'm engaged in conversations right now about legislation, but none of them are my proposals. It's certainly it's just from a kind of coalition building or information sharing perspective. And so one of those is on search and rescue hmm. uh, of all things. So big topic I, though. It, it, it's, a, it's a huge thing and, and Oregon Oregon is a growing state. You know, the word is out that this is an amazing place to go outdoors, kind of regardless of what you want to do. And with that, um, are come some real challenges for rural counties and for the sheriffs in those counties that provide search and rescue services. And so we have a, an interesting coalition of partners between, you know, sort of the outdoor industry. Um, some conservation representatives, ski areas, and the Sheriff's Association all looking right now about how to solve uh, this problem. And essentially what we want to do is to be able to reimburse sheriffs for the rescues that they're doing. Yeah. 
to provide some money for uh, training and equipment and to develop some responsible recreation messaging alongside of it so that folks know um, and, and you know, think about you know, planning and preparedness a little bit more before heading outside. So that, that's been a really fun one to build support around where my work in the past in Utah and Colorado, for example, um, on these programs has made it easy for me to um, share information about you know, what potential models might look like, uh, you know, what did those states learn, how have they changed their search and rescue funds since creating them. So having, having had experience in so many states before, you know, rooting, rooting in here, um, I can, you know, call on that experience just in this one search and rescue example. There's other, there's others as well, but that's been one that's uh, live this week. So that's probably why it's on my mind. Yeah. It's a, it's a great topic, big and small. And it's interesting. It also sort of falls into your imagery of work, you know, states are working in all these various lanes too, and, and uh, being, aware of what people are doing in other lanes and coordinating can help restructure a search and rescue rescue funding program or, or, or whatever's going on in the state. Um, yeah, it, 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 it's great to have that peer group um, of other state office directors to learn from and understand what they've found uh, success with or, you know, challenges around. Um, so I'm certainly making use of um, that network and, and that past work in, in terms of how we're setting out with priority projects and policy it's great. here in the state. So it's great. Well, um, is there any um, just quick uh, quick promo you want to give for any Oregon initiatives that are you know that maybe you haven't started? I know you're fresh into the seat, but uh, you know, is there a website people can go to 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 learn more? Yeah, the Office of Outdoor Recreation website is. Uh, on our Oregon Park and Recreation Department. Uh, that will be a good place once we build it out and develop a newsletter sign-up list there. There's there's not much on it um, at, at this point, but I will plug that mid-May next year, we're gonna host a uh, statewide outdoor recreation summit. So if any of your listeners or, or you and folks that you know are interested in understanding kind of all of the various projects and work and kind of real time, real time policy stuff that's going on. Um, that's the, right. so next, that's uh, in, next May in Bend, there you go. We're going to be doing that statewide outdoor recreation summit and that's the 13th and 14th. So details to be determined, but save the date. That's part of the, yeah, save the date. That's <laughs> the idea behind, you know, getting, uh, some of these various efforts to merge is just that is providing a space to do so. Absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're looking forward to it. That's fantastic. Well, Kalen, thanks a ton. I, uh, I, I really appreciate your time. Oh, yeah. Pl- pleasure chatting with you. And I'm you know, still very much getting the word out. So the opportunity to kind of talk through what, what we're up to um, is hugely beneficial to me as well. So looking forward to connecting again soon when I can help, you know, get a few more of these projects that are, you know, on my whiteboard or up in the clouds <laughs> right. um, down onto the ground and, you know, a lot of that stuff's happening in real time. So if we talk again in six months, um, my world here would be pretty, pretty different. I, so I, I would imagine so. It sounds like you have a great start, though. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's certainly. It's been fun. Thanks, Drew. Hey, my pleasure. Talk to you soon.